Welcome to History Nachos. History is more than just names and dates. It is the heritage of humanity. Here, we are all about the greatest real stories. So take a scoop and jump on in. Colonial North America existed on the far edge of European civilization. Remote British colonies on the Atlantic coast developed an exceptional level of independence and freedom. The Crown's authority was often minimal and distant, but everything changed after a major conflict rocked the world. As Britain and France bitterly fought each other on the expansive frontier, many colonists put their lives on the line for their rights as Englishmen. After the war, the British government decided to pay the bill by imposing more and more taxes on the American colonists. As the colonists protested, the punishments became increasingly harsh. Some of the colonists decided to risk everything in hopes of a better future. Welcome to episode 20, Lives, Fortunes, and Sacred Honor, The Early American Revolution. Those who make peaceful revolution impossible will make violent revolution inevitable. John F. Kennedy President Kennedy was encouraging leaders of abusive governments to make reforms. From studying history, he knew what happens when governments overreach and their people hit a breaking point. The United States famously began when its people hit such a breaking point with the British Empire. After years of protest and formal appeals to the crown, the colonists were unable to restore their accustomed level of freedom. This episode is all about how those colonists went from loyal citizens to waging war against their own government. Before going any further, please remember to subscribe, comment, like, and share. I read them all, and often respond. Also, stick around at the end for bonus content, and check out the Gab page for pictures and links. Older episodes are all freely available on BitChute. You can find links to the Gab and BitChute pages in the description. While most of this episode deals with a relatively short time period, the starting point is more than a century beforehand. During the early 1600s, the European nations were racing each other to claim territory all over the globe. In North America, Spain already controlled Latin America and Florida. The French claimed a big part of Canada and the modern Midwest. Britain called dibs on the Atlantic seaboard, modern America's east coast. The Caribbean was a mixed bag where everyone had a bunch of islands right next to each other. Chaotic does not even begin to describe the situation. While I would love to go more into it, the colonial Caribbean would be a whole episode on its own. The point is, England began colonizing the American coast. Two of the early settlements played a big part in establishing the American culture. Jamestown and Plymouth. The first successful colony was Jamestown in modern Virginia. And by successful, I mean not everybody died or disappeared, like Roanoke. Jamestown had a pretty rough start, but soon became highly profitable after it began farming tobacco. Even then, Jamestown still had some pretty serious continuing problems. 
Also, the only connection to the rest of the European world was past huge expanses of water that took months to cross. In order to survive, Jamestown usually had to figure things out on its own. Those circumstances resulted in a fiercely independent culture among the colonists. After saying Jamestown was at least viable, members of a persecuted religious minority decided to start their own colony. Today they are known as the Pilgrims. The Pilgrims established Plymouth as a safe haven out in the middle of nowhere so they could freely practice their faith. It was a hugely defining event for America's moral and religious character, especially when contrasted with Jamestown's gold rush mentality. Modern Americans still celebrate the foundation of Plymouth on a big holiday called Thanksgiving. Also, I want to set the record straight on the Pilgrims' relationship with the natives. The Pilgrims and natives were friendly from the start. Peace between them lasted more than 50 years after the Pilgrims landed. Even when things broke down, it was because Plymouth got pulled into conflict by other colonies. As Plymouth and Jamestown found increasingly more success, word began to spread in the old world. Now there was a place with tons of land, minimal oversight, and representative governments. Over the course of the next century, Britain's American colonies steadily grew. By the mid-1700s, British America was really cooking with gas. Now there were colonies all along the American coast, which included fully functional cities. The fur, timber, agribusiness, and shipbuilding industries were all top-notch. British America became a world unto itself. The American colonies had transformed from a few outposts on the edge of a new frontier to one of the crown's most valuable assets. The French did not see the same explosion because they focused on the relatively specialized fur trade. They still made a fortune, and it was a good incentive to stay friendly with natives. Having fewer people also minimized encroachment, which prevented a lot of tension. Encroachment on native land soon became the Achilles heel of British America. A steady influx of people meant the British colonies constantly expanded outward. The natives had a bit of a problem with that. Both sides were willing to negotiate, but things turned into a cycle of violence, negotiation, peace for a while, then an incident would start the violence again. Not exactly a happy and healthy relationship. As the British colonies expanded westward, they began to move into territory claimed by both England and France. Today it is in western Pennsylvania and eastern Ohio. The French governor tried to kick out the British colonists with formal decrees, but there were very few French people in the area to enforce them. The British colonists were not about to follow orders from the French. Remember, their national rivalry goes back to the BC era. The colonists ignored the decrees, and basically dared the French to do something about it. Then the French governor decided to pick a fight. He called on France's native allies to help the French kill or capture any British remaining in the disputed area. The British government responded by sending out armed men to protect the region and negotiate with the French. 
The leader was a recently promoted junior officer named George Washington. Tensions finally broke loose when Washington encountered a scouting unit of the French military. Washington decided to attack and successfully caught the French off guard. Ten French soldiers were killed, including the commander, and the rest were taken prisoner. The fight also went down in a place that both sides claimed, which made the whole thing political. The incident ended up sparking a major conflict. Britain and France had been constantly fighting each other for world domination. This event made both sides decide to go all out. Much like World War I, the hostilities triggered a system of alliances that got a bunch of other European powers involved. The American frontier became a critical battlefront. In British America, the conflict became known as the French and Indian War. The already dangerous frontier was now a combat zone too. The French also had a huge advantage thanks to their native allies. Civilians would often get caught in the crossfire, so British colonists began to flee back east. For the first several years, France dominated the frontier. Then Britain changed its leadership. A bold man named William Pitt was put in charge of the war effort. He turned things around on all fronts. In America, he cut off the French from Europe by using Britain's ace in the hole, the Royal Navy. France and its allies could see which way the wind was blowing, so they negotiated for peace. The war finally ended in 1763. Britain had prevailed, but at a great cost. A peace deal was formalized in the Treaty of Paris. Paris is where Western powers often go to sign treaties that end big wars, which is why there are a ton of treaties of Paris. In this Treaty of Paris, Britain, France, and their allies pretty much horse-traded a bunch of colonies. In America, the British got almost everything east of the Mississippi River. The colonists in British America were totally hyped to go into the new territory. After all, the prospect of westward expansion is what started the whole war. It was a huge motivation for Americans fighting on the frontier. However, things were not that simple. Natives still occupied the land, and were not big fans of the British. It also did not help that Britain's governor for the area seriously disliked the natives. He decided to cut off gifts to the tribes. Definitely a bad idea. Giving and receiving gifts was a huge part of the native culture and political system. The French had figured out that using native territory was a pay-to-play game. By ending the gifts, the British governor insulted all the native leaders in the rudest possible way. The natives quickly figured out that such contempt from the British would soon be followed by a giant push westward. It was already beginning. The natives knew this problem needed to be nipped in the bud. Just a few months after the Treaty of Paris, the native tribes coordinated a huge offensive all across North America. The Indian part of the French and Indian War was back on. The natives were led by an iconic chief named Pontiac, which is why this conflict is called Pontiac's War, or Pontiac's Rebellion. 
As part of an effort to calm down the situation, the British Crown issued the Royal Proclamation of 1763. It basically ordered the British colonists not to move any farther west. The colonists pretty much reacted with, What? You have got to be kidding me. Just about everybody knew someone who had fought, died, or been injured in that war. So the Americans took it personally. The proclamation did help de-escalate the war with the natives. But now the American colonists began to openly doubt their government. Everybody has different tolerances for what they can put up with from the state. However, big enough changes can push large groups of people over the line and into defiance. The colonists were about to go through a series of breaking point events. With each one, more and more people turned against the government. Breaking point number one was the Proclamation of 1763. Quite a few Americans decided to just ignore the proclamation and head west anyway. When the government started seriously enforcing the proclamation, it became a huge point of political contention. The British Empire also faced another major problem, paying for the French and Indian War and Pontiac's Rebellion. The government ran up a huge deficit to fund the war effort, and now the bills were coming due. The American colonies were pretty lightly taxed, and a bunch of fighting took place in North America, so the British government decided to impose a series of tax hikes on basic necessities. It was also a power grab to rein in the autonomy of the American colonies. Many of the colonists thought existing taxes already covered basic government functions, like military protection. The British government instead acted like they had done the colonists an extra favor, and wanted a giant fee. That precedent meant virtually no limit on potential future taxes. Hello, breaking point number two. The tax gouging. The first big tax hike was the Sugar Act, which taxed molasses and a bunch of other important everyday items. Technically, it renewed an existing tax that was just not enforced, but actual enforcement made it tantamount to a new tax. Molasses was a critical ingredient in rum production, which was a major industry in the colonies. By design, the new tax affected a lot of people. The colonists loudly protested and started boycotting the tax goods just to stick it to the man. Then came the Quartering Act, which required colonists to directly pay for food and supplies of local soldiers. The soldiers could effectively take whatever they wanted, without consequences. It is not too hard to imagine how the colonists felt about that. The British government decided to double down, instead of realizing it was sitting on a powder keg. A year later, Parliament passed the Stamp Act, which taxed pretty much all paper. This one hit everyone hard. For perspective, imagine having to pay an extra tax for every email, text message, social media post, and shopping receipt. It pushed a bunch of people over the edge. One man in particular decided to take matters into his own hands. Before all the crackdowns, he was just a small business owner in Boston. His name is now iconic. 
Samuel Adams. Adams organized protesting and riots against the Stamp Act. They tore through the streets, destroying taxable goods and targeting tax collectors. Pretty soon, Samuel Adams helped found a formal resistance movement called the Sons of Liberty. They led tons of protests and constantly published writings favoring the colonial cause. Ideas like God-given rights, defiance of the crown, and American independence began to enter the popular consciousness. The Sons of Liberty are often considered the earliest form of what later became known as the American Revolution. One of the major sticking points for the colonies was that they had no representation in Parliament. Consent of the governed had been a big deal in the colonies ever since Jamestown and Plymouth. Having absolutely no say in matters that deeply affected everyday life really struck a nerve, especially when the people making decisions were on the other side of a vast ocean. Britain was also a pretty unique government because it had recognized the rights of its subjects and limits on the monarch since the Magna Carta back in medieval times. Those ideas were a critical part of the British Empire's national identity. With all the recent developments, many colonists believed the current regime was deeply violating their rights as English subjects. When you look at the situation with that background, the strong reaction is more understandable. Within a year, the Stamp Act was repealed, and Parliament let the Quartering Act expire. Repealing the taxes calmed things down, but the British government was in a bind. They still needed tons of money, and now the colonists were really edgy about any new taxes. What came next could only sound like a good idea to out-of-touch politicians. Parliament tried to pull a fast one by passing a new tax that was technically different, but still designed to raise revenue. To the colonists, it was still taxation without representation. Unsurprisingly, the boycotts and protests flared up again. It got so bad that the British government had to send a ton of soldiers to Boston. Instead of calming things down, the British soldiers became viewed as symbols of tyranny, and the people of Boston turned against them. Soldiers were constantly harassed and attacked in the streets. The plan was not working, so Parliament repealed a bunch of the new taxes. However, everything went haywire before word could reach the colonies. On March 5, 1770, a protest got way out of control and resulted in soldiers firing on the crowd. Five people died, and the event became known as the Boston Massacre. Even though the shots probably happened due to panic or an accident, a big red line had still been crossed. Professional soldiers from the King's army had fired on their own people. Now protesting colonists had died at the hands of the state. Breaking point number three. The next few years were relatively peaceful, but it turned out to be the calm before the storm. Which brings us to breaking point number four. Parliament passed the Tea Act, which was not a new tax but still something unacceptable to the colonists. Tea was already taxed, but the Tea Act gave the East India Company a monopoly on importing tea to British America. 
The East India Company was a too-big-to-fail business with money problems, and the Tea Act was functionally a corporate bailout. The British loved their tea, so importing it was big business in the colonies. The Tea Act seriously hurt merchants who relied on shipping and selling tea for steady income. It would be like Congress passing a law that everyone in America could only buy one brand of coffee. The economic and personal consequences were widely felt. Plus, now the government was messing with the tea supply. For many colonists, that was a bridge too far. Massive tea boycotts swept across the colonies. In Boston, Samuel Adams and the Sons of Liberty decided to go big. Disguised as Native Americans, they boarded three East India Company ships full of tea shipments and dumped over 92,000 pounds of tea into Boston Harbor. The protest immediately earned a nickname, the Boston Tea Party. It gained support from all over British America. This all made Parliament furious. They brought down the hammer by passing the Coercive Acts, a series of laws designed to punish the colonies, especially Boston. Boston's harbor was shut down, and Massachusetts could no longer elect its leaders. Additionally, whenever a soldier killed a colonist, he would be sent back to England for trial. Now it was practically impossible for colonial witnesses and family members to participate. Not exactly a fair and impartial process. Imagine if modern police shooting cases were handled that way. I totally understand why it made the colonists so angry. The Quartering Act was also revived with a vengeance. Now colonists had to allow soldiers to live in their own homes and eat their own food for free. It was yet another forced expense on top of all the taxes. British America now felt like it was under occupation by a foreign army. Putting soldiers in ordinary homes was an obvious threat to the safety of the colonists' families, meant to intimidate any resistance. It was worse than COVID-19 lockdowns and martial law. The conditions became so unbearable that in America the Coercive Acts became known as the Intolerable Acts. The colonists also realized, if Parliament could shut down Boston, it could shut down any other critical port. The ports were British America's main connection to the rest of the world, so the idea of closing them down was a serious matter. The modern equivalent would be blocking internet access to an entire city. After everything the colonies had already been through, now it was getting ridiculous. Many of the colonists were simply fed up. Breaking point number five, and it was a game changer. The other breaking points pushed people into civil disobedience and public protest, but the coercive acts really took things up a notch. A bunch of colonists began stockpiling arms and ammunition. There were still many veterans of the French and Indian War around, with actual combat experience. Others started getting trained for open warfare. The Sons of Liberty even had a weapon stash with enough guns for a small army. 
those ready to grab their weapons and fight on short notice earned a legendary nickname. Minutemen. Ultimately, the British governor received orders to arrest Samuel Adams and John Hancock. At this point, John Hancock was a wealthy merchant who had helped finance and lead the Sons of Liberty for years. Adams and Hancock were rumored to be near Lexington, Massachusetts. The governor gathered a thousand soldiers and set out to make the arrest. The force left in the dead of night hoping to have the element of surprise. The governor had also gotten a tip on the whereabouts of the Sons of Liberty's weapon stash, so he was going for a massive gun confiscation too. Word of the plan got out in Boston, so the Sons of Liberty sent riders throughout the countryside to tell the Minutemen it was go time. When the authorities made it to Lexington, Samuel Adams and John Hancock were long gone. As the soldiers came into town, they found something entirely different. Assembled on the town commons were dozens of Minutemen. It was their job to stall the soldiers while the Sons of Liberty cleared out the gun stash and gathered the main force at Concord. They were outnumbered more than 10 to 1, but still stood their ground and stared down the soldiers. After a tense standoff, the soldiers charged. The Minuteman leader ordered a tactical retreat. In the chaos, somebody fired a shot. The soldiers freaked out and started firing at the Minutemen. By the time the soldiers made it to Concord, almost all the guns were gone and a force of Minutemen was ready for battle. When the soldiers fired, the Minutemen fired back. As even more Minutemen reinforcements constantly streamed in, the soldiers found the tables had turned. Now they were outnumbered. The soldiers beat a hasty retreat back to Boston, taking fire all the way. Everyone knew a war had just begun. The fight for American independence was on. It was time to stand and be counted. Representatives of the colonies formally created a Continental Army. To lead it, they picked a widely respected veteran of the French and Indian War, George Washington. On the other side was the world's top superpower. The American colonies were incredibly valuable, so there was no way the British Empire would give them up easily. This was going to be rough. A year later, the Continental Army had suffered a bunch of losses, but scored some critical victories along the way. They were still in the fight. After much debate, the Second Continental Congress decided to issue a formal Declaration of Independence. They ended it with, and for the support of this declaration, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. Everyone who signed knew it meant putting everything at risk. As president of the Second Continental Congress, John Hancock went first. He made his signature gigantic as a statement to the world. Samuel Adams was also one of the signers for Massachusetts. Many of the signers gave everything for the cause. 
several were captured and tortured to death. Others died in battle, or lost their sons to the war. A lot ended up bankrupt after funding the war effort, or having all their possessions destroyed by the enemy. Some even lost their entire families. To this day, Americans honor their bravery and sacrifice on the anniversary of when the Declaration of Independence was finalized. July 4th, 1776. The American spirit had finally manifested into its own nation. It began with the fiercely independent souls in Jamestown and Plymouth who sought freedom on the edge of the known world. Their descendants carried on the legacy of self-reliance. When faced with external threats, they rose to the occasion. After tyranny developed from within, many stood against it and fought for their freedom. They ended up creating a country that unleashed human potential like never before. Today, the United States of America remains one of the most prosperous, free, and powerful nations on Earth. Soon after the Revolutionary War ended, the United States created one of the most pivotal governing documents of all time, the Constitution. It established the first large, fully representative republic since the BC era. The Constitution also included a foundation of critical freedoms, the Bill of Rights. The United States quickly became known as the Great Experiment. The big question is whether everyday people have the capacity to govern themselves. As long as the Republic persists as a free nation, the answer is yes. You have officially made it to the bonus material, the guacamole on these history nachos. Stick around to hear about the aftermath, modern relevance, or anything else we decide to throw in. Every stage of the colonial period and revolution contains plenty of extraordinary people. Colonial America is incredibly well documented, so many of the stories are still available. One of my favorite tidbits is from the ending phase of the French and Indian War. William Pitt had such a big impact that a critical fort in western Pennsylvania was named after him. It stood on the highly strategic spot George Washington had fought over. The city there today still bears the minister's name, Pittsburgh. When looking at the American Revolution, it is very easy to think that an overwhelming majority were on board with protesting in independence. The reality was much more complex. Only somewhere between a third and half the population favored the revolution. About one-sixth advocated loyalty to the crown. The loyalists were far outnumbered, but had powerful people and the British military on their side. Everyone else mainly wanted to stay out of the conflict and go with whoever won. More neutral people joined the revolutionary cause as time went on and victory became more realistic. It resulted in serious espionage right out of a spy movie. George Washington is most known as a general, 
but he was also an accomplished spymaster. His Culper spies functioned as an intelligence agency, and played a critical part in the Revolutionary War. There are also a bunch of really well-made movies and TV shows about colonial America and the Revolution. Here are some of my favorites. The Last of the Mohicans is an Oscar-winning epic that takes place on the American frontier during the French and Indian War. The John Adams series on HBO follows one of the most critical figures for decades, and actually makes a good effort towards historical accuracy. And of course there is The Patriot, one of Mel Gibson's Hollywood blockbusters. It is by no means a documentary, but some things are very right. Some of the highlights include the iconic debate scene, and the role of veteran experience from the French and Indian War. However, it definitely deserves the R rating. For something a little more G-rated, I recommend an animated series called Liberty's Kits. It is a fictional story where teenagers working for Benjamin Franklin witness many major events of the American Revolution. While the more graphic aspects are toned down, it still addresses mature topics like slavery, living in a divided nation, and the difference between a protest and mob violence. There are also a lot of celebrity cameos as various historical figures. I still enjoy the show as an adult. If you want to look more into primary sources, the Library of Congress has an amazing collection. They even made a brief history of the American Revolution, with plenty of links to contemporary accounts. It is posted with the extended bonus material on Gab. The essence of this episode is contained in the Declaration of Independence. One passage in particular concisely sums up why the colonists gradually turned away from the British Empire. Governments long established should not be changed for light and transient causes. And accordingly, all experience hath shown that mankind are more disposed to suffer, while evils are sufferable, than to right themselves by abolishing the forms to which they are accustomed. But when a long train of abuses and usurpations, pursuing invariably the same object, evinces a design to reduce them under absolute despotism, it is their right, it is their duty, to throw off such government and to provide new guards for their future security. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider making a donation on Patreon or PayPal. Any amount is greatly appreciated. Until next time, thanks for listening.